this show the establishment warned you about. And thank you for joining us again. This is Dr. Tommy Show brought to you from Tampa, Florida. I am America's free market doctor, and we are brought to you by Atlas MD, which is the preeminent medical software for concierge medicine and direct primary care practices. If you want to learn how to use the most up-to-date, technologically advanced primary care and concierge medicine software solution for you, go to AskDrTommy.com, click on Special Offer for Atlas MD. Atlas MD is also on the cutting edge of keeping up with legislation and all the different things with primary care, direct primary care. And um, you can also follow them on Facebook and Twitter and you can follow us there too. Speaking of direct primary care, um, one of the articles I had printed out today was from medical economics and it says the title of it is keeping payers and other third parties from interfering with patient care. And it says, primary care physicians say they find their practices increasingly beset by outside interference that gets in the way of effective patient treatment. When asked about the main problem facing primary care today, 70% of physicians tag third-party interference as the biggest challenge. Most physicians in the study pointed to prior authorization as the most common type of interference they experience. Um, other things, uh, narrow networks from private payers, government mandates, regulations, attestation requirements, quality metrics, and certification obligations, hospitals, EHR vendors, and other things like physician advocacy groups. So it's interesting that all of those things can be solved with one fell swoop by just going out of the system. That's right. But there's a reason why people don't do that. Why is that? Well, because they get paid. I mean, and think about it, you know, insurance companies, they do recommend or they give you a list of providers to go to. So that helps the provider also. Yeah. And um, they get patients. They don't have to market like we do. They would never. Most of the practices would never benefit or never succeed, though, because mm-hmm. doctors are so in, so used to the old fashioned way of you just open up your practice and all these people fill your schedule. Mm-hmm. They don't know you from Adam. You don't know them from Adam. And mm-hmm. away you go mm-hmm. on your merry way, collecting co-payments and there and so forth until the employer changes their insurance plan and then mm-hmm. they go on to another doctor yeah and and you know and also the patient has no idea what they're even paying for that visit they're not they have no idea what they're paying for that service the majority of them don't do you think there'll ever be a point where doctors and patients pay each other directly like they used to oh, i geez. mean on a wide scale basis <laughs> as of right so. now i would say no right now no way i mean i don't think most people want that well, we know how difficult it can be, you know, running this type of practice. And yeah, it is hard right now. I mean, if we had an insurance based practice, insurance companies are going to give their uh, clients a book and, you know, our mm-hmm. name would be in that book. Your yeah. name would be in that book. And then people would be calling us left and right. And but the so people say, well, what's the what's the problem then? Why don't you just do that? Because <laughs> if we had a one doctor practice, guess how much we'd be getting, quote unquote, reimbursed yeah. per visit? Yeah, that's the thing. So if you charge one hundred and fifty dollars for um, an office visit, which is actually which is, you know, pretty inexpensive, really for an insurance based practice, yeah, for an insurance based practice. Yeah. You, guess how much we get reimbursed? Yeah, what do you probably, think? I would say probably 50 bucks. Yeah. And so you try to do that for about a year. You mm-hmm. sink your savings into putting out a shingle. You get a, mm-hmm. a logo. You get a website. Mm-hmm. You advertise. You, you send out a mailer. New doctor in town accepting all of these 
mm-hmm. insurances and you list them all, you know, all the big insurances that are around there. Mm-hmm. And about a year later, you've gone through all of your funds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then guess what happens? Yeah. yeah. You get this. And guess who that is? Mm-hmm. Besides the bill collector. Who was it? The local hospital group <laughs> looking to buy you up. Yeah. And then the doctor says, okay, I, I give up. Mm-hmm. So that's why this is. But it's interesting. The doctors complain about it. They say that's their biggest problem. But how many of them are willing to take the step to say, you know what? Well, it's hard going into business for yourself. You know, especially if you're a doctor that you're 50 years old or you've been in your you know, 40s and you've been doing this for 15, 20 years. You've been doing, that, doing it that way. It takes a lot of courage. Yeah. To do that. And, um, you know, and also you're used to living on, you know, you're used to uh, living on a certain income. And now all of a sudden um, that income is gone. And I mean, it's it would it's a lot. It would hard. It's, it's not going to happen long. The other reason it's not going to happen is most patients don't care to have a relationship with a doctor. They don't care. If most they could people. eliminate the doctor, that's why you see such a big advance in telemedicine. A lot of people, people don't are like, like doctors. you know what? I don't even have to see the doctor in person. I just have to talk to him on this telescreen, and then they send me a, a prescription for my asthma exacerbation, or for my bronchitis, or for my sinusitis because I know my body, mm-hmm. and that's what I need. And then they get that prescription. That's all they care about. A lot of people do know their body, but everyone needs to have their lungs and their heart listened to with a real stethoscope by a real doctor, because. I mean, I had a friend not long ago did a virtual appointment and she was prescribed an inhaler, um, but her lungs were never listened to mm. <laughs> or her heart. An so inhaler. how did we know that she was wheezing? Well, how she said she, she told him she was wheezing. You know what in my experience? Do you know how many people, though, that I've seen in pediatrics where the parent claims that their child is wheezing and there's no wheezing you know going wheezing on? wheezing to a lot of patients is? Well, congestion. Congestion. Yes. Wheezing is high-pitched lung sounds mm-hmm. that indicate a blockage of small tubules in your lungs mm-hmm. or small small bronchioles in your lungs. Mm-hmm. We have patients that come in, um, and I know you see it too when you do your other um, thing, um, patients who think they have a sinus infection and, and they want an antibiotic, but they just yeah. have a cold. You need a real hand. You do need hands-on from a real physician, but people don't like doctors. They don't trust doctors. That's they right. know they're going to get um, five minutes of the doctor's time, and it's because the doctor, he's just, you know, he's got so many, he's got a full schedule. That's why supplements do such a... Or sold or do such a good business in selling supplements because people want to take control of their body or mm-hmm. their treatment without having to have a prescription. Mm-hmm. So if there's a supplement that says this cures X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. they're all about it because then they can bypass the doctor completely. Yeah, that's and why. You this- know what? And I, I, I get it. I mean, yeah. I just, I need, I, I, I am actually, I just did the same thing myself. I am going to go straight to the hospital to avoid seeing this new physician because I don't want to see a new physician. Yeah. Well, I don't yeah. want to wait in the waiting room for an hour. I fill out the mountain of forms. Yes. And I and they're going to call me up three times and ask for my insurance information. Then I'm going to see a physician that doesn't know me and probably doesn't really want to get to know me. Wow. And um, it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. So I see, <laughs> I, I feel their pain. But I see a lot of times, a lot of people who do what we do are, on Twitter and other things, trying to sell their service so emphatically, trying to tell people what a good deal it is, how it's so cost effective. It's you know less than what you spend on eating out. You're, you pick it. It's less than your phone bill. It's less than all this. But well, people you, don't care. I think. No, I, don't think, I think a lot either. of people would say, you know what? As long as I can get my medications, I don't care if the doctor's competent, incompetent. 
I can get my prescriptions filled. I can mm-hmm. basically monitor my blood pressure myself. They're going to give me cholesterol medicine. I'm going to take that. I'm mm-hmm. going to get my blood checked once a year. That's all mm-hmm. I care about. It I don't is, want no personal relationship a with physician. a doctor. It is hard to find a really good physician. One that you can have a feel connection with. A lot of people don't care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of people have been in the system for so long that they've never even had a real relationship with a physician. And so they don't even know what that means. I'm 42 years old and I have never had a real relationship with a physician. I haven't either. I haven't. The last, vis- the last physician I seen. Um, of course, I'm a doctor, so I can take he- care of myself, but. Yeah, but it's oh yeah, but you do get a physical once a year from your um, yeah. from your doctor friend. You guys give each other a physical, but I mean you, you should do that. But I have not. I cannot say that I've so had a great people relationship. out there under fifty, let's say, have ever had a quote family doctor yeah. that they knew and trusted, and that their family went to. Probably very it's, few. It's probably a very low percentage. That's why telemedicine is such a big market, and that's why they're increasingly trying to commoditize. Uh, medical care even more so mm-hmm. is so they can eliminate doctors hopefully in their minds eventually completely by replacing them with nurse practitioners or PAs or some other type of mm-hmm. um, professional that can just sign off legally you can probably log in uh, to a computer mm-hmm. have them look at you do some type of facial recognition confirm mm-hmm. that you're HIPAA compliant the mm-hmm. right person yeah you punch in your things. They have some professional review you, and they, mm-hmm. they email you a prescription, and away you go. Yeah. And then there's a middleman that makes all that happen. And if that could happen, you'd see congressmen lining up uh, looking to endorse that model as long as they got paid by the company that made that computer um, software. Absolutely. You know, there's a lot of great physicians out there. There's a lot of wonderful physicians, but... Uh, time is, uh, you know, they're on a time restraint when they're seeing patients because they've got 30 patients to see in the morning. Um, if only they were allowed, you know, could see, take more time to see the patients. But, you know, we can go to Publix right now and we can buy bread and milk and then go over to the pharmacy and sit down and have a, um, a virtual visit on the computer. Mm-hmm. and um, get whatever we need to get yeah. and then go right next door to the pharmacy and pick up our prescription and on our way. Yep. Back to this article from Medical Economics, it says, this is a quote from uh, Ripley Hollister, a primary care physician who operates Hollister Healthcare in Boulder. Third-party interference is burning doctors out because we take we want to take care of patients. Doctors enjoy intellectual challenge, the compassion, the relationships. That's why we went into medicine. All these things get in the way. Talking about things we talked about earlier. And then it says, physicians interviewed by medical economics say there are ways to minimize the pain and take a stand, however. They range from small workflow tweaks to more drastic changes such as dropping a pair or switching to a practice model such as direct primary care that cuts insurance companies out completely. Mm -hmm. So I don't think a workflow tweak or dropping a pair is going to make a much difference in what these people complained about. So The only way is, is that third way. And as we just talked about, yeah, yeah, so, so you drop United Healthcare. Yeah. Okay, you still have you know Blue Cross, and you have all those other ones, um, and then workflow. How can you tweak workflow when the doctor still needs to see thirty patients in the morning so he can actually make a good income? Yeah, what are you going to do? Tweak it to do what? Right. How can you tweak that? Well, you know what? I bet you there's make, consultants out there that will tell you how they can do well, it. Well, you know, just from working in the insurance world, you know, uh, I know doctors. I've seen doctors many times. Be you know, they get ten minutes with each patient. And they've got three patients scheduled at ten o'clock. Okay, so but that's common sense, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Give the pa- give the doctor one patient at ten o'clock, and then the, you know give them twenty minutes to see the patient at least. 
Hmm. I don't know. Anyway, I just don't think either one of those will. Those seem like common sense to me. Yeah. But movie reviews. We watched a movie called The Gift last night, and The Gift. Yeah, it was good. If night or twenty fifteen, directed and written by Joel Edgerton, starring Jason Bateman as Simon, Rebecca Hall as Robin, and this is a couple that moves to a new area, and we're not really sure why, but later on, there's a person who lives there in the new town where they're moving to that knows Simon. Yes, they have a history. And he brings together. a gift. He brings and a further gift. gifts. Lots of gifts. Lots of gifts. But it is in 2015 and it is on Netflix now. If you're interested in watching a good movie, it's it's pretty good. It's a thriller. Mm-hmm. It's it, it good. It it's got good. a lot of twists and turns. It's not predictable. I screamed part <laughs> of the movie the cat got scared. Remember the cat split? After he came to watch the movie, mm-hmm. he left. Yeah. And then he never came back in. He just stood yeah. at the doors and looked in the glass. Yeah. It's really good. I really like Jason Bateman. Um, I think that the he chooses wisely, you know, in the movies that the, he decides to play in. Mm-hmm. And um, what's the movie that I... What's the... Extract? Um, no, that's a great show, too. That's a great movie. Um, no, the um, Netflix... Um, I I just seen... I just Oh, the Ozarks. Jason Bateman's oh, yeah. in the he's Ozarks. A, he's on a- Yes, yeah, so they were approved for season two. I can't wait to start watching that. But anyway, the Ozarks is uh, with Jason Bateman, and it's uh, it's really good. And then guess who Joel Edgerton is? Who? Oh, I forgot. Gordo. He's the he's the actor. Uh, oh, he played, he's the actor. The guy right here, the gift. The guy with the gift is the actor. He's the Gordo. He's the writer and director. I just oh, found that is. out. Oh, he is. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I remember when that came out in the movies. I don't. I do. And um, I don't know why I didn't go see it. Good movie. That's good. So USF, if you're in the Florida area, USF is University of South Florida, where I graduated from med school. And according to WUSF News, USF wants feedback about campus football stadium. And so this is from usfnews.wusf.usf.edu. It says, University of South Florida is asking students, alumni, and faculty, and staff for their feelings about an on-campus football stadium. An online survey was sent this week to about 170,000 members of the USF community to gauge their current interest, asked a variety of questions. Um, I think it's really important for us to have this kind of information to complete the feasibility study on whether or not we're going to eventually move Forward on an on-campus stadium. That's from the deputy athletics director Scott Hall. Just fill it out. You know whether you're on the fence, committed or not committed. I mean, really, just want to get the information on the right decision. Cole said the proposed stadium would seat about forty thousand fans, with the potential expand to fifty thousand. USF has identified two sites on the south end of the Tampa campus where a stadium could be built. S- officials project the cost to be two hundred million. They should do that. You know who should be the sponsor? You know what it should be? Who? George Jenkins. George Jenkins? Well, the the company Publix. Oh. It should be the George Jenkins Stadium. Oh, why do you say that? Because George Jenkins is from Lakeland. Okay. Lakeland is very close to Tampa. Mm-hmm. Ben Hill Griffin Stadium is in mm-hmm. UF. Mm-hmm. People know Ben Hill Griffin just mm-hmm. because of Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, or at least right. I do. Publix is throughout the Southeast. Mm-hmm. They are... It makes sense to me for Publix to... Uh, be the uh, naming rights for the stadium and then contribute to that and it would make a lot of sense it'd be well, a Publix lot of good building a new store right there on campus right yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know what? I think the I think the stadium would be a great idea. George Jenkins Stadium. I think you know more people USF will go goals. to. You know, right now they have to go to Raymond James, right? Yeah. You to, go downtown to Raymond James. Yeah. Who wants to drive all the way down to Raymond a James? Pirate ship, and it just doesn't. Yeah, make sense. they need their own field. I think they get more people come out and watch them. Respond. Okay. The survey also asked respondents about the USF Center, a forty million dollar indoor training facility to be built on campus. Blah blah blah. Nine million has been raised so far. Problem with USF is that USF is or Tampa is not a college town, and they have to compete with all these different things for interest of fans: the Buccaneers, the Rays. Mm -hmm. But I think you could tie that in, and you have so you have to look at it from one point of view where it says there's not enough interest because there's too many sports to take the attention of fans. But you could say also, look, this is a sports community; Mm -hmm. they would gladly take another winning team. Mm -hmm. I think. If you go to Publix, I think I've said this before, if you go to a game in Gainesville on Saturday, mm-hmm. in Publix, anywhere, there's Gator stuff out. There's mm-hmm. people walking around in Gator gear. Mm-hmm. If you go to a game here in Tampa on a Saturday, USF game, there's no, there's nothing about the Bulls anywhere. Mm-hmm. There's not, there's, I think they need to do a better job of making uh, marketing, marketing with team. the community. Anyway, that's pretty cool. Uh, what else? Oh, this is from um, this is from Reason.com. This is Nick Gillespie, April 13th, 2018. It says, On the first great weather day of spring 2018, Donald Trump has committed to withdrawing federal objections Excuse me. to the legalization of marijuana, reports Tom Engel of Marijuana Movement. President Trump is preparing to support far-reaching legislation to reform federal marijuana prohibition so that states can enact their own cannabis laws without interference. Hallelujah. Good. Let, let the state decide. Yes. Let the states decide what and they want to do. It's interesting, too, because the reason why is apparently because this congressman, um, it says... U.S. Senator Cory Gardner, Democrat, said in a statement last Wednesday, I received a commitment from the president that the Department of Justice's rescission of the coal memo will not impact marijuana, Colorado's legal marijuana industry. Furthermore, President Trump has assured me that he will support federal-based legislative solution to fix the state's rights issue once and for all. So there's other people who say that the reason for this is because this Cory Gardner has agreed to not block any judicial appointments that uh, President Trump makes for the federal judiciary. Okay. Um, so, so they're talking about, um, not, we already have, um, you know, medical marijuana. Yeah. And they're talking about non-medical. So yeah, just okay. basically just saying, anyone can- the states decide what they want to do. Right now, marijuana is a Schedule II drug, same as oxycodone, same as hydrocodone, same as... Uh, Meth- not methamphetamines, same as amphetamines, which is what amphetamine salt, which is what Adderall is. Mm-hmm. So those are all Schedule Two, and then there's Schedule One drugs. Actually, marijuana is a Schedule One drug. It's I'm a sorry, Schedule, schedule one? one includes drugs that, uh, according oh. to the FDA, have no medicinal value at all, like heroin, like oh, cocaine. This- oh, okay. Now, although cocaine used to be used topically, but there are things that are Schedule One drugs that are not used in medicine. Then there's Schedule Two, which are you can use them with certain. Uh, Schedule one is drugs that are not used in medicine, and that's where marijuana's at. Mm-hmm. But we know, so we are, we know that's that needs change. Then, hence the reason why they say they're going to make federal legislation that says the states enact their own. Mm-hmm. So that makes more sense. So the states decide. So if uh, you live in a state where they say, "Look, 
we allow mar- medical marijuana or we allow medical or rec- recreational marijuana or whatever. Mm-hmm. They say that. Or if the state says, look, we don't allow that. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in Hillsborough County. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, Polk County started to stop selling beer at, I think it was two o'clock. On Sunday? Or, or maybe it was midnight on Sunday. Hillsborough County stopped selling beer or Polk County, where I grew up, I think stopped selling beer at 12 o'clock. Sunday morning, basically. Mm-hmm. And then Hillsborough County, which was a county over, mm-hmm. stopped at 2. So we used to drive to Hillsborough County across the county border just to get alcohol because they were open later. Right. Now, um, what is the rule now for know. Hillsborough County? I don't know either. I'm not sure. Now, and it used to be that you um, you had to wait until 1 o'clock, I believe, yeah. to get alcohol on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. But now I think you can buy alcohol at any time, right? Yeah. And then there's some counties probably don't sell it at all. But the point of that is, is look, the county decided... Mm-hmm. counties can decide well certainly states can decide too if you can smoke or otherwise uh use some kind of plant that grows in your backyard mm-hmm. that until the 1930s was completely legal for anybody to use at all same as angel's trumpet mm-hmm. which is a plant that grows on a tree that i can go out into our end of our street right now and mm-hmm. go pick one of those flowers go home and make tea of it and get high as can be there's no we law should against do that it. tonight <laughs> no way i've heard i know you can um with that you hallucinate right yeah and when i was in medical school there was a person who was on the uh psych ward of tampa general because they did too much of that and was permanently damaged oh, God. yeah i would never want to do anything like that where i'm hallucinating and out of my mind and out of control i wouldn't either but the federal but you're not doing it because the federal law prohibits it. i'm doing it because i don't want to do it right yeah but if i want to go out and make tea out of a flower yeah because I'm stupid, <laughs> go for it. Or if you want to smoke marijuana. So that's that's a good move, I think. Because before they were saying that Jeff Sessions was saying that uh, we're going to start cracking down, which is stupid. Anyway, uh, that's about all for today. We had a fairly... Whoops. Whoa, what's supposed to be off? Anyway, we uh, had a fairly brief, I guess, podcast today. If you didn't see the podcast from earlier in the week, I interviewed Dr. R.M. Huffman, who is a author of the uh, Antediluvian Legacy or the Antediluvian Trilogy, <laughs> which is about the uh, the pre-flood biblical times. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, very interesting. And that is right, something... Right, he has two books now, right? Two books, and there's one book coming. But anyway, that's a podcast I did earlier this week with Dr. R.M. Huffman. Yeah, it was an interesting podcast. Anesthesiologist, mm-hmm. and he's an author too. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Somebody's trying to get a hold of me. That's me playing the guitar on there. Till next time, bye-bye. This is going to be Sammy Hagar, and this is um, from the first solo album that they had on... Uh, in night, no, sorry, his last solo album after he had already joined Van Halen, and it is called uh, I Never Said Goodbye. It's Sammy Hagar talking about what he thought it would be like to be born. It's called Where Eagles Fly, and playing bass on this guitar, playing bass on this album is Van Halen guitarist Eddie Van Halen. And join us on Facebook, I'm sorry, join us on YouTube, YouTube and iTunes, and subscribe. Hit the bell to be notified. Until next time, bye bye.